Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to the PowerCat Insiders podcast. I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher, GoPowerCat.com. We're sponsored by Blue Mark Energy. No Matt Walters today. So your kids can listen to this podcast. Uh, we are joined, as always, by Jay Heydrich and Ryan Gilbert is with us. And the better half of that Heydrich relationship, Missy Decker Heydrich, women's basketball analyst and many other wonderful things, has joined us in Matt's stead. Matt had a family thing come up, and we will let him tend to that. I won't force him to do this. Nobody wants to be forced to do a podcast with Fitz. Except, apparently, Blue Mark Energy. Does your company or your employer spend $4,000 or more a year on energy bills? Would you like to reduce those costs by 25% or more and maintain the same level of service and reliability? If so, it's time to speak with Blue Mark Energy. Blue Mark Energy, K-State owned and K-State proud. Uh, we get to talk about a win. This is something we literally haven't done in a couple of months. I guess the women did it recently, um, and we'll get to that eventually. But uh, this has overall been a stinky, stinky basketball season for all parties involved at Kansas State. Uh, Gills, I imagine even the rec leagues were canceled. There's not even rec basketball, is there? This is, nope. This is a disaster. This is a disaster. However, K-State men did find a way to win on Saturday at TCU, 62-54. A, a nice defensive effort for the Wildcats. Only scoring 62 points and and finding a way to win uh, is very Bruce Weber, isn't it, Jay Heydrich? That is, that is straight from the old days of Bruce's success. you got to defend them so good that 60 points is enough to get you over the hump. Yeah, you know, they kudos to them. They they made plays down the stretch. They got stops down the stretch, which is something they haven't been able to do in a couple of their close games this year so far. Um, and they were able to get over the hump, you know, against, uh, I think, uh, Texas Tech earlier on in the year. They, they had a chance to um, make a run in that game and pull that game out and weren't able to get the stops they needed and weren't able to uh, convert on the offensive possessions and the opportunities that they had. So, um, they, they were able to do that this time and uh, uh, got a win. And uh, anytime, anytime you get a road win in, whatever, in the Big 12, whether it's a pandemic year, this year, next year, last year, or whenever, it, it's a good win because it's tough to win on the road in the Big 12. Yeah, ironically, K-State's two wins this season as they're now, my gosh, this season has flown by despite the losses. It's, I can't believe they're at 2-13 and 13 with just two to go. They're 6-18 and 18 overall, both of those wins at Iowa State, at TCU, so they haven't won at home. Their last chance is tomorrow night when Oklahoma comes to town. But, Missy, this was probably the most complete effort the K-State men have put in this season. And um, 
I, I found myself waiting for them to collapse. But as Jay mentioned, they didn't. They were the ones that finally made the plays down the stretch. And I guess that's refreshing and maybe another lesson learned by this young team. Well, and I think if you look at probably their game against TCU that they had in Bramlage, they did address some of those issues. You know, a kid like Miles for TCU who just took them off the dribble all night, especially late in the game, that didn't happen on Saturday. So I think that they made some of that progress in saying, okay, what are the things we've got to correct? What can we do better? Um, You know, I thought that there were plays where it just seemed like TCU – themselves were not, <clears throat> excuse me, were not very interested in being there. I mean, they just had it. They, their intensity level did not match. I thought what K state had now, not to say they didn't have some breakdowns at some point in the game, but what you like to see is that you're able to put it together, get over the hump and do enough to get a win. And I think that's what they were finally able to do. And a few bright spots with some of, you know, those younger kids, I think kind of establishing themselves and getting some minutes and finding some more comfort level. Those are good. Those are good. That's progress. And that's what you want to see out of those younger players. And Gil's, uh, Mike McGurl uh, has really struggled at times this year, trying to do too much. And I don't, I don't blame him for that. At times someone has to try something and uh, it's often Mike, but he was big down the stretch. I know Selton Miguel was also very important here, but I was struck by Mike McGurl having four defensive rebounds in the last five minutes of the game. It was almost as if he was declaring, okay, if you're going to miss a shot, we're going to end the possession. You're not getting a second chance here down the stretch. And I thought that was very mature of him to really focus and lock in on that, to terminate possessions as quickly as possible against the Frogs. And, and speaking of the last five minutes of the game, I, K-State held them to zero field goals right within that stretch. So that was also key. But, yeah, couldn't be happier for Mike. I mean, he, he talked this morning on the press conference, or, or I guess Weber talked about him. And I really, you know, really hope he can come back next season because he deserves it. And I think if, if he really cares and he wants to win, he will come back because there's no way anyone would, would want to go out like this um, with this type of season. So, yeah, he was big, you know, 16 big ones. And, Obviously, you know, you're happy for the whole team, no doubt about that. But for Mike to get that win, um, you know, he's really taken – this season's taken a big toll on him, no doubt about that. So, happy for him. I mean, he deserves it. He played his his butt off. And, you know, that technical foul that he got in the second half was probably – I know it was a double technical, but that was probably the – the uh, the changing point in the game right there. Once that – once that happened, K-State, I think they went down by two for a minute, but then they – went right back and, and pretty much took control of the game. Yeah, a couple things there I want to touch on with other people here. Um, good points, Gills. McGurl, 16 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists. But, Jay, 4 of the 11 turnovers belong to Mike, so he continues to have problems in that department, just not taking care of the ball. But um, I I liked that technical. I, I There's some technicals you like, and as a former player, both of you actually, I, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on that. I thought Mike was sending a clear message to his younger teammates. We're, we're not going to put up with that. And um, I, I think that played a role in how the team finished down the down the stretch. You know, as he, he earned the technical. I mean, he went in and bumped the guy and said, get out of my way and made it very clear this was more than just picking up your teammate. Gills is right. K-State fell behind, I think, it's by as much as five. But they seemed to have more fight down the stretch than we've ever seen this year. Yeah, I thought, you know, 
Mike walked a fine line with that of coming in and making sure he was standing up for his teammate and he got the tee, but he didn't do it in such a way that escalated it to where it was going to bring in further issues, bring guys off the bench to where, you know, we have a bench clearing bra, people are grabbing stools and throwing them over their head, acting like they're going to hit one another. What would that happen? No, not, not, yeah, not, not that that's a real life scenario that would ever happen at all. And the NCAA gets involved. Sorry, I digress. Um, but, so, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I thought he, he walked a good line of trying to, um, you know, make sure he was standing up for his teammates, but, but not, not getting it over the line as well, uh, because that had it, had he crossed the line, that could have been a game changing way in, in another way, because I think if you get, if you get kicked out of the game for coming off the bench, you not only, um, get kicked out of the game, but you have to miss part of the next game as well, too. I'm, I may be misremembering that right. rule. I mean, that's the rule. And so, um, you know, and kudos to the other uh, teammates, too, for staying on the bench and not escalating it. So, yeah, that was good. But I, I think the biggest difference that people are talking about in this game is a kid that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, and that's Selton Miguel. You know, he had nine points and five rebounds, and those aren't eye-popping numbers. But compared to what he's been doing in previous games, they are eye-popping numbers. Um, and he did a lot of things, too, that I thought didn't show up on the stat sheet. He played good defense. He was, uh, it seemed like he was always around the ball. He was active. Um, and uh, that's a kid that we've talked about a lot, that K-State has to have production out of him. If they, have, if they want to have any shot at winning any games moving forward, then, then they've got to get something out of him, and they just haven't been getting much out of him um, recently. So it was nice to see him show up Saturday and, and contribute in a positive way. Well, I'm still baffled by him, and I'm uh, anxious to get Missy's take on Selton Miguel because it'll give us a, some fresh insights here. But you're right. He did finish with nine points um, and five rebounds. Jay, seven points and four rebounds came in the final five minutes, meaning the first 31 minutes he played in the game, he offered almost nothing, but he seemed to come to life. Missy, I remain baffled by Selton Miguel. I think he could be the best player in this class, or he could be a guy that just never meets up to his expectations. And and hopefully this this flurry and how he finished and how well he defended, I should point that out, he did defend very well throughout the game, um, maybe made him understand all the things you need to do as a player and put it all together into to one consistent performance. I had um, I was on the call with the radio network when K-State played Colorado back in, I guess that was late November. Um, and, it, and that was obviously very early. I mean, like second game of the season. Right. And so you're going through all this and looking at all these new kids and trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be an impact player, who can be a role player, who are we going to see a lot of? And Salt Miguel just really wasn't a whole lot of the conversation. And I think what he has done has asserted himself, trying to figure out, um, you know, I think you I think you're right. I think this is a kid that has potential and is trying to figure out and harnessing that in the right way. Early on, there were games I think he was trying to do too much, um, and you get yourself in trouble, whether you're turning it over, you're putting yourself in a bad spot, a shot selection was real poor. I think some of those things have progressed to improve, which then gives him maybe some more confidence. Uh, I feel he's got a little bit more of a calmer presence on the floor, and I think that's helping. And then that is also something that spreads from a kid who starts to feel a little bit more confident offensively well, now I can assert myself on the defensive end. 
I'm understanding where I'm supposed to be and I'm not taking as many chances, but I'm making good plays. And I think that's where he's kind of bringing that part of his game to the forefront here for them. And I don't think he's going to be a 15 and nine kid every night. I don't think that's what you're going to get out of him. I think what you need is you need consistency and that's going to be one of those role players. And I think if you look at this K-State roster and you look at, you know, both men's and women's, there's no, there's no one person that can carry the load. You've got to do this as a committee. And so if you can get the nine from Salt Miguel on a, on a consistent basis, I would take that and run with it because that's the kind of thing you need out of those young kids. And those are the games on the road against a team like TCU who wasn't really matching their energy or any of that where then they can say, hey, I'm making place. Let's do this. Let's get it done. Like now all of a sudden that confidence factor builds and that can be a good thing for those younger players. Gills, Sultan Miguel now has hit two huge three-pointers to help K-State win games. It was clearly the game winner against Omaha. Months later, he does it at TCU. And yet, I don't want Sultan Miguel taking threes at this point of his career. And, and I think that gets to something that Bruce Weber said on today's teleconference, that when he catches the ball a lot of times at the three-point line, he kind of spins the ball in his hands and thinks about it. And the other two on this, particularly Missy, sorry, Jay, if you're if you're going to be shooting three-pointers, the second you think about it, you don't shoot it. You, you, you're probably going to miss. It has to be a rhythm, confidence thing. And when he doesn't have time to think about it, Selton seems to shoot the ball better, and I think it just goes back to something else she said. He's got to get even more comfortable. He looks less panicked now than he did earlier in the year, uh, but he, he still needs to just kind of settle into his skin and realize he can do these things. And it was just an enormous three-pointer he hit on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you're right. If he didn't have that uh, the hit against Omaha and that one in the second half on Saturday, I think his, uh, we're looking at him a lot differently. I mean, look at the... The Chiefs kicker, Harrison Butker, like if he didn't hit a few, you know, clutch field goals at the end of those games, we're probably viewing him a lot differently this season. But he's been big, and I think in his class, I think that Nigel Pack and Bradford are going to be the leaders. Kazubke and, and Lewis are going to be the role players. Miguel, I think, is right there in the middle. He's got the potential to really be a good player. He's super athletic, and I'll, I think his jump shot, I'm, I'd rather have him shoot than – Antonio or Dejuan or a few of those other guys. So I know it's, it hasn't been the prettiest this season, but I still think there's potential there. The pieces of that puzzle need to come together for Selton, but I, I think that he's certainly, like you said, he's got a lot of potential. Um, and, and like you said, Missy, if he can just come in and give you nine points every night, you're going to be okay with that. He doesn't have to be the superstar. It's crazy. He's only shooting 25%. Actually, that's rounded up. 24.7% from three-point range, and he hit three against Omaha and one on Saturday. He only has 19 on the season out of 77 attempts. Jay, that's not a guy I want shooting the three-pointer, and yet he hits big shots, and I think that says something about the kid. Just some guys can do that, and and maybe he's one of them. Well, I think it just comes down to confidence. Confidence to make a play, whatever that play needs to be. Um, you know, they, they there was an opportunity um in the Texas game where uh, Miguel got the ball in the corner, had a chance to shoot a three-pointer, but he drove and he kicked it to Mike, and Mike had a wide-open three and knocked it down to give um, K-State a chance to be in that game towards the end. Um, the So whether it's whether it's 
you're taking the shot or driving to, to the basket, you know, if you have the confidence that you can make a play, whatever that play is, that's what you're looking for out of the kid. And and for him to have the confidence not only to make the play, but to understand what play he needs to make. Um, and if, if he's willing to step up and take a shot when he has it open and knock something down, that's great. If he's willing to drive to the basket and create a shot for somebody else, that's equally great too. It's just, he, he he's he's shown some improvement in that area to where I think his shot selection has gotten better um, and, and continues to need to get better, but he needs to continue to rely on his athleticism. And he just, he, he needs to bring some of those things that, that don't show up on the stat sheet. He needs to bring the effort and the energy uh, because that effort, energy, and confidence are contagious to everybody else. And when, when you bring those things and people see it, you, know, you may not get the shot, you may not make the play, but if you have good energy, you might help someone else make that play. And that's, you know, the whole purpose of being a good teammate. Missy, throughout this season of men's basketball at Kansas State, I found myself uh, finding little nuggets of hope, almost like change you might find in the dryer. You, you know, you're not going to pay off any bills with it, but it's it's better than nothing. And that's kind of the way I am with this team. And one of the things I've seen really advance for this group and um, you know, I don't buy entirely into the pandemic being the cause of all these problems, but I will buy into the fact that not knowing defensive rotations and those type of things were probably damaged uh, by a lack of practice, a lack of time together, a lack of having enough bodies. Uh, and I finally feel like this team's getting it. I'm starting to see those Bruce Weber rotations where the guys slide in and out of help and uh, they look so much better on Saturday. Also, another piece of hope I took from Saturday was Shane Southwell had the scout, and I thought this was a really well-handled scout, and that he was able to get into Selton McGill's head, uh, and I know Bruce Weber's been working on this, and got him to defend specifically, along with Mike McGurl on their two scores. So I just think the defense for Kansas State is light years ahead of where it was just a month ago, and I find that at least somewhat encouraging. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's progress there, no doubt, and um, and you see that in other games where you know you've been in it at the end, can't get over the hump, you know whatever that might be, keeping yourself in the game in the first half, having a couple of breakdowns in the second, and and I think you know defensively, this has been a team that's kept themselves in it. It's been their ability to score the basketball that's been one of the biggest issues. I mean, if you can't put the ball in the basket, we've got trouble, right? So we can hold everybody down in this league, but if you can't score and match it, that's going to make it really difficult. I think um, I think you're right in the sense that there's been the progress because they've had probably more time in practice. You get your full real things a little bit differently. But also, I think your point to um, addressing something with scouts, and I think that goes back to what I said earlier, I think they made the adjustments from the first game against TCU to the second game. And that probably has to do with some time to really talk to these kids and say, okay, this is what killed us the last time. Miles got to the middle of the floor late in the game. You can't let that dribble penetration get to the middle because we are exposed. We have no help. You know, send them baseline, send them to your help, get your rotation set. That's where you, that's where your buddy will be to bail you out. And those kinds of things now are registering. And it is, it's time. And, and you, know, you got to remember with some of these kids, if I'm talking about a Selt Miguel, if I'm talking about Pack, I'm talking about Bradford, these guys, you know, a year ago were getting ready for their state tournament games 
and they were, you know, their season was almost over, if not maybe had been over by now. So when you throw in all of the things that have happened over the course of this season and why it's looked so different, um, now all of a sudden you're kind of getting into the groove, a groove that maybe people would have thought you would have had back in January, regardless what you do like is the fact that they're they're starting to to hone in and I think make those adjustments. And it's not just adjustments happening from practice to game. There are in-game adjustments happening, and I think that's a positive too. Gills, I'll get back to you in a second. Jay, when you're dealing with young players, how long does it take them to understand the importance of those scouts? I mean, Missy just said it. A year ago they're playing in, you know, state high school championships or their schedule and they're better than everyone else, and maybe they have to shut down a guy or we need to do this in the game. But there's nothing nearly as complex as what a college scout is. Compounding that is the fact that they really only have one guy on the team who's been through this repeatedly because the other three returning players, and there's only two with them right now, just learned all this last year. So kind of adapting to the depth of a college scout and how to apply it in a game has to be a process. And and maybe we're seeing some progress with that with this team. Yeah, I think the, the bigger issue goes down to something we've talked about a lot is you can't under, underemphasize the impact that not having any upper class other than Mike Monroe on this team has on this team. Um, you know, the ability, you, you learn these things from, um, from upperclassmen. And I've talked about it before is, you know, when you're a freshman, you go in and you get your brains beat in every day at practice by the senior that's on the, on the roster. And you learn how to play against uh, people who are bigger, faster, stronger, older than you know, know more about the game than you and how to handle that thing. And that goes not only with just the play of basketball, but also to all the other administrative and the study of basketball that goes along with it too. You know, you learn you learn how to um, read a scout. You learn what um, how, how to uh, implement a scout. And a lot of times you do that because you're on the scout team uh, as a freshman, at least for part of a practice. And right now you've got freshmen are playing against freshmen in practice when, when they have 10. Um, and so the ability to, to learn from people who have been through it and to appreciate what you need to learn is just not there. And, and it's put... That, that just puts that much more focus and, and pressure on the staff to try and relay that to the freshman because the coaching staff, particularly probably a guy like Shane Caldwell, has to be not only the coach but also the, the senior leader on the team because there's no one else there to help these kids understand what they have to go through, not only with the physical play, but also the middle and the, and the student part of the game too. Ron Gilbert, let's wrap up this first half. Uh, you have covered a lot of K-State basketball this year for us, been to most of the home games. Um, step back for a second and say, describe to me how good it was to see this team get over the hump and find a way to win because I really thought they were going to lose out the rest of the schedule. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've said it a lot here on the podcast. I, I thought they were going to get a win here that they weren't expected to do, and they got that against TCU. But, I, I mean, there's never moral victories or anything like that, but there were a lot of those games where – if, you know, a play here, a play there, go differently, you know, they had legitimate chances. I mean, if they could just hit a few shots against KU, KU didn't play good last week in Bramwich. So, you know, they had a lot of chances. And, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm really happy for them. But this was definitely – I until the final buzzer sounded, I was never fully 
you know, confident they were actually going to call out a Fort Worth with a win, but they got it. So I'm happy for them. You're right. With every missed shot TCU took and Mike McGurl or Sultan Miguel grabbed that rebound. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, they're, they're one step closer. They're one step closer. And, and even though mathematically in the final seconds, it was impossible for them to lose. I didn't believe it until I saw it. I really didn't. I, I was like, I was very happy for him. We'll see what happens. Uh, after the break, we will talk about what's next for Kansas state men. They play Oklahoma on Tuesday. It's senior night for Mike McGurl. Although all indications are he will return next year for that free season that COVID has offered the seniors, so that is a double whammy for K-State. Not only will they get Mike McGurl back next year, but he won't count during the for the 13 scholarships as the NCAA has waived that limit for, for sports, and that's very good news. We'll also take a look at the K-State women. If you think it's been bad on the men's side, the women are really struggling, and it was very unexpected for the Wildcats, and we'll kind of take a look around the Big 12 as the Powercat Insiders podcast continues. PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. 
Welcome back to the Powercat Insiders Podcast. We shuffled the lineup today just a little bit. Missy Decker Heydrich. Do you ever use Decker anymore? Because that's how you're famous. Not as much anymore. I mean, it's been a long time, but every so often you got to pull it out just for you know, prosperity's sake. Uh, the other old farts know who you are. The younger people probably don't, but Missy and Jay, former basketball players for Kansas State, now happily married, and I think sharing Wi-Fi right now, as you can probably hear. Are, yes. So are you upstairs and he's downstairs? We have a floor in between him in the basement. He's on the second floor, so we are um, socially distanced, even in our own home. That's good. I would stay. Yeah. I would stay away from Jay too. Uh, and Ryan Gilbert from our staff is with us. Matt Walters couldn't be with us today, but Blue Mark Energy could be. It's a natural gas products and services provider serving feed yards, hospitals, hotels, manufacturers, and school districts throughout the Midwest. And Blue Mark Energy is the natural gas provider for the Kansas State campuses in Manhattan and Salina. Blue Mark Energy is K-State owned and K-State proud. And this, if you have a business, might be a perfect time to call them because you might want your natural gas prices reduced. Well, Jay, I don't wish what's happened to Mike McGurl in his senior season upon anyone. This has been awful. Uh, And he has been truly invested, and somehow he has stayed positive through all this. He hasn't always been good. He's turned the ball over. He's taken bad shots. He takes too many deep threes. I could list all the flaws in his game, and yet I don't put any of it at his feet. He shouldn't be in this position. He shouldn't be the lone senior. And honestly, he shouldn't be a starting guard in the Big 12. He should be a, an energy guy coming off the bench. Here's my question. If he comes back next year, I, I think if he's playing 30 minutes a game, K-State's still in trouble. And I, I don't mean that as an insult to Mike, but I just think he's, he's better in the 20 to 25-minute range, maybe even 15-minute range if the team's good, because he's such an energy guy, and that part of his game gets taken away when he has to play – 36 minutes like he did on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if the freshman and sophomore classes on this team are as good as people hope they should be, then Mike's role should be diminished moving forward um, as a, as a six-year senior. Um, if, if it's not, then um, that's, not, that, that's not a good sign. Um, now that, that, again, that's not a, a knock on Mike. It's just, if you want to compete with teams in the big 12, Mike can't be your focal point, uh, on, on your, on your offense or on your team. Uh, he wouldn't be on any other team in the big 12. Um, and, and the fact that he is on this team is, or has to be on this team, uh, the focal point leads to the fact of the record and struggles that we've seen. So, yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, that that'll be a further challenge for Mike uh, moving forward if he does come back. Because he's, he's got to be willing to accept, you know, going from 35 minutes a game to 20 or 25 uh, and letting Deshaun Gordon or Rudy Williams or somebody else step up and take some of those minutes away from him or a combination of people take those minutes away from him. Um, and and that'll be an interesting um, dichotomy to play out in the locker room to see how uh, how Mike responds to to that if, if it if it does come to fruition. I found it interesting. Rudy Williams didn't see the floor on Saturday. They played eight guys. They got Carlton Lingard in for just a little bit, and Kazuki played. And but for the most part, it was a you know I guess they played nine guys. It was a seven player rotation with Dejuan Gordon and Casey Eziegu coming off a. Uh, 
the bench as they got good minutes out of the post. And, and Missy, this team finally grasped how important it was to get the ball in the post. You know, one of my frustrations with Bruce is he continues to say things, but his team doesn't do what he's saying. You know, he'll say it in a pregame press conference the day before the game, and then he'll say it after the game that they need to do this and they didn't do that. But we don't see it happen. They did work the ball inside, and really they kind of split the game up between Bradford and Eziegu, and and Casey was the one who played the majority of the minutes. I thought even though the numbers aren't overwhelming from the post – I guess combined they were 17 and um, now hold on yeah 17 and six rebounds, but still they were pretty good in the post and and that's something K State really hasn't had and I've been banging my head against the wall wondering why they don't get inside out as much as they do they need to. Well, you have to have a post presence. I mean, especially in this league, when you look at um, you know where where they are um, in terms of their guard play and where they have been so inconsistent. You got to have a post presence. You got to be able to inside out. You got to be able to open up the ability for your perimeter game to even give you some open shots. And there, I mean, we can talk at nauseum, and I'm sure you guys have over the course of the past past few weeks about how many games they've shot, you know, bajillion threes, and it's just been horrible because their ball doesn't go inside. Some of that is accountability. Um, you've got to hold these guards and these wing players accountable for not putting the ball inside. They've got to be better post passers. So this becomes a, this is kind of a two prong thing. I not only have to have guys in the post that can catch and finish or catch and get fouled and get to the line, but I also have to have people that can actually get it there. So what's your passing angle? Are you, where's the ball rotation? Are you trying to, are you trying to enter the ball of the post from the top of the key? Well, there's five people in the lane. That's not a good pass. You got to make better decisions with the basketball. So if we're holding our guard play a little bit more accountable and telling them where they need to be, where the ball needs to go so that we can feed the post, now all of a sudden you've made it easier on the big guys inside. Give them some room to operate. Let them get a couple easy buckets. And then life on the perimeter becomes a little bit easier. As a former perimeter player, I can tell you, get yourself some stuff inside Get your and then everybody wants to focus. They turn their head. Now, all of a sudden, it's a double team. The rotation's laid on help side. And oh, hey, look, I'm open in the corner. Like that will happen. But you've got to do the other things first. It's a progression. Uh, absolutely. Gills, as I look through the stats, um, everything on this stat sheet looks different. They only had 11 turnovers Saturday. As I mentioned, Mike McGill had four of them. Nigel Pack, five assists, one turnover in 39 minutes for a freshman point guard. That's fabulous. He was still only 4 or 15 from the field. His, his shooting woes have really settled in now. They out-rebounded TCU 38-32. Most importantly, as I mentioned in the first half, their defense was so much better. TCU shot 32% from the field and only 22% from three-point range. The only thing that kept TCU in the game was... They're the worst shooting free throw shooting team in the Big 12, and yet they hit 20 out of 23. And that, that just seemed like a very K-State way to lose, do everything right, and then lose to the worst free throw shooting team. But they kind of snapped it all in place. And can they translate that on Tuesday at Bramage Coliseum against a better Oklahoma team? Well, another important stat real quick, K-State only shot 14 threes, which yeah. is a really good number when you kind of think about what they've done earlier in the season. But you know, Oklahoma's playing playing really good. When they went small, that's really helped out that team. Lon Kruger's done a great job. Um, you know, Elijah Harkless has been big for them. 
So I, I'm not going to say they're going to go out and win, but if they play with that same energy and effort that they played with on Saturday, then I don't see why they can't be competitive. You know, Brady Manick's been, uh, you know, he had some COVID issues and he was out, so he hasn't really been the same since then. So, you know, like you said, Missy, if you get the ball down low and inside, good things will happen no matter what. I mean, even if it's not a double team, you know, you see the ball go through the net. That's never a bad thing for a three-point shooter just to see that on the floor. So I, I'm not going to say they're going to go win, but uh, Oklahoma's definitely, and this has been my philosophy all season here with K-State. If you're watching that team, uh, you know, looking at their record two and 13 in the big 12, you're not going to be as motivated as you are for that game against Baylor. So maybe they'll catch the, the sooner sleeping on, on Tuesday. We'll see what happens. Jay, explain Oklahoma to me. They're near the top of the Big 12 standings. Of course, Baylor's up top, uh, although they don't actually play basketball anymore, apparently. Um, but Oklahoma's been hovering in that two slot. Um, they might have slid down a little bit right now. But when I watch them, dude, I'm not that impressed by them, and yet they win a lot. It, it, sort that out for me. Well, they just got guys who can make plays when needed. You know, um, you got the Harmon kid who's a really good guard and uh, can get his own shot. Uh, they've got Brady Manick, I think, the, who uh, Gills just said has been off lately, but I think he's maybe starting to find his way back a little bit. Um, and, you know, it, the one thing Oklahoma's not known for is their defensive intensity. So um, there's some games where you, you look at it and you think, how, like Iowa State last, last weekend, how is Oklahoma and Iowa State that close? Iowa State's terrible. Well, if Oklahoma's not guarding and Oklahoma's not making shots, um, it, it's going to, the game's going to be closed just by math, you know? Um, and so it, when, when Oklahoma makes shots, that's when they're really good. And I, what concerns me about Oklahoma this week is that it's a temptation for K-State to fall into what it um, has been trying to get away from all season. And that's the quick, the quick shots early in the shot clock and putting up bad shots and, and, and not, not forcing the defense to work on when you have the ball. Oklahoma is, like I said, they're, they're not going to pressure you. They're not going to get out in passing lanes. They're not going to force you to do a lot. And so you're going to have open shots. I mean, Salt Miguel's going to have some wide open threes. Uh, Antonio Gordon's going to be wide open on the perimeter. The question is, do, the, do we have the discipline to be able to hold back from taking that shot in order to get a better one? And I think that that's where K-State has improved uh, more from earlier in the year is that you know, they've been they've been not taking uh, the first shot that's available. They've been trying to find the best shot available. And that hasn't been the case all the time, but it's gotten better. Um, and so the problem is the way Oklahoma plays and the way Oklahoma guards is it, it could lure K-State into um, falling into that trap of just putting the first shot up that they get because they're going to be so open. Well, K-State did score a whopping 62 points in that victory, but 30 came in the paint, as Jay just pointed out to me on this nice little chat we've got going here. See, we can we can talk, and then he, he gets me in Zoom chat. It's kind of nice. 30 points in the paint. Uh, Missy, I'm going to oddly switch gears here. I thought K-State women would be pretty good this year because they have a good paint presence. They have one of the more dominating players in the Big 12 they beat KU, what, a weekend ago for their first win of the Big 12 schedule, and now they've lost back-to-back -back games and not even scoring 50 points. 
What has happened to the women's basketball program this year? Well, I think that's a that's a big can that you just yeah. pop the top off of there, my friend. I'm going to go um, grab a snack. I'll see you in 15 minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think, well, first off, this is a group. They were picked fourth. You know, they were picked oh. fourth in this league in the preseason poll. Um, and then currently sitting out one and 12, six of 14. If you go back to the very beginning of the season before any game was played, non-con or what have you, it was one of the questions I actually posed to Jeff Mitty was I said, you know, what do you think about this league and where over the course of the big 12 and women's basketball, same thing on the men's side, you get that evolution one year. It's really guard heavy and others it's real balanced. Or then there's the big post season, you know, what have you. And he said, he goes, this is the type of season where you, this is a post year. There is a lot of talented athletic post players in the big 12 of women's basketball. And when you've got a redshirt sophomore, Ioka Lee, and you had that presence, it's huge. Um, I think, you know, we can, we can dive into a lot of the, the scenarios that have, that have plagued this group. And it has been the same things I think probably um, that you guys talked about with men's basketball in terms of, COVID and certain scenarios and the fact that, you know, they did have a 30 day window there where there was no play, no practice. Um, and that's a huge factor. And I would use that term. And I would say that's something that I'm, um, I, I stick to is I, I view it as a factor. It's not an excuse. And so you got to be able to build based upon the factors that you are upon. Um, just as the men have been able to shut people down and defend, that's what the women have been able to do. They've been able to defend. And that's kind of been Jeff Mitty's MO is we can shut people down. We've got to find a way to put the ball in the basket. And that just hasn't happened. My, my biggest, I think probably explanation is I would look at this from the roster top to bottom. And you have to look at it and just say there's some holes there. And there is there is not a lot of depth. And whether that's injury, whether that's opt-out, whether that's COVID, however that plays, um, you know, this is a roster that's a, a little bit upside down. And there's just not a lot of depth. And um, women's basketball is probably been a little bit different than the men's game in terms of the portal in terms of the transfer portal and what that has looked like. Right. I think you're see you have seen more impact players bouncing out of women's basketball in that grad transfer portal or what have you, maybe more than men's over the last couple seasons. Now in this new environment where everything goes, it's going to be very different. Over the past couple of years, Jeff has had good luck in the portal. A player like a Megan Dinas or Kariah Middlebrook or Angela Harris last year. Those were experienced, talented guards that were bringing some, they were bringing some scoring power. They were bringing some energy. They were, uh, they were bringing a lot with them to the floor. They were going to be impact players. Uh, Sydney Goodson came from Texas Tech as a, a portal, a transfer, grad transfer this year. But she's probably just not as an impact player. She's more of a role player. And, but I don't, so I don't know how that was really going to take the roster to the next level. Um, so this is, this is just a roster that right now doesn't have a lot of depth and there's not a lot of answers. And so as we were talking about before, and you think about accountability, right? And I got I to gotta get kids to get it to the right place. And we got to make these decisions. And we have to stop with the mental mistakes. And, you know, 21 turnovers at Texas yesterday. 
for the women? Well, when you look down the bench and think, well, if I'm going to pull somebody out who's now turned it over three times and threw it to the band and, you know, on that inbounds pass, but I don't have anybody to turn to, right? I- I'm limited. So that's where I think um, this season and the expectations have not been met. Um, and I-, I think there's also been... Um, a, a lack of being able to, to, to compete and close things out. I think that's also been a struggle. Um, play 35 minutes. Great. Last five. So great. You know, you fold on the road at Texas tech where you got a lead and they put some pressure on you. And next thing you know, you're in overtime and you lose by 10, you know, I mean, those are the kind of things that just, whether that's experience, whether lack of experience, whether it's um, just a, an inability to be able to have the right players on the floor that can make the plays, but you just have to be able to have the right players. And then you got to figure out who you are. Gil, she brought up the portal. Um, we know that Kansas state men are going to have guys at the portal. Um, that's just inevitable. That's just folks right now. That isn't a Bruce Weber thing. That's a college athletics thing, but he has had a lot of players leave the program. It's inevitable someone leaves. What's key here is who leaves. But if you could go choose one more piece to add to this team through the portal, what type of player would Coach Ryan Gilbert – oh, God, that sounds horrible – would Coach Ryan Gilbert uh, add to his K-State men's roster? I I think you just need someone that can score, someone that can can shoot the ball and get it through the net is really what you need as a sharpshooter, you know. I mean, Pat can do that, but he's also trying to facilitate the floor and get other guys' looks. So, you know, somebody that can can shoot and score the ball would be my biggest uh, biggest key because you already got Bradford and Eziegu who are looking really good down low. And like I said, Pat's a good point guard. So someone that can complement those two positions, I think, is what you got to get, a nice wing. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that, Jay. Um, and that's really the issue with this team. And Missy brought it up with the women's team. It turns out if you can't shoot the ball and put the ball through the basket, you're not a very good basketball team. I, I know that's that's really in-depth analysis by me, Tim Fitzgerald, but that's really kind of covers a lot of the problems with both the men and women. Can't score, it's hard to win. Uh, and maybe going to find one more guy that can, can score and take some pressure off the other guys uh, might be really beneficial to this program, but... Bruce Weber hasn't had much success going into the portal. He's contributed a lot to the portal, but not really taken that much out of the portal. Yeah, I think it's not only hard to win when you don't score, but when, when you look at it from a fan perspective, it's just brutal. To watch, oh, it's horrible. You know, and it doesn't, even if you're winning, it's just not exciting basketball to, to watch and tune in for. And when, when you have to grind on every possession and, you know, um, it, it, it's just, it's just hard. Um, it, I, I would go get a combo guard, uh, personally. Um, one of the things that we've been doing a lot is we, if you notice, we've been playing Nigel off the ball more, which is great because it, it frees him up, gets a ball out of his hand, lets him run off some screens and lets him uh, become uh, a more focal part of part of the offense in that way. But then they've also been playing Selton at the point and, you know, that we've talked, you know, today and other times about Selton's lack of production. That may be part of the problem is that they're, you know, Selton's running the point. He's not really a point guard. Uh, and so uh, if they're going to run 
pack off uh, off the ball and, and try to involve in the offense that way. They need another combo guard to step up, whether that be Rudy Williams from the uh, from the current roster or go get somebody else. But you know, to get that one-two um, um, backcourt punch to where you have Nigel, another combo guard, then let Selton play what was probably his natural position at the three. Um, and then maybe have a stretch four with Antonio and let Bradford and uh, Iziagu play on the uh, on the interior. I think it's a pretty decent lineup there. It could be anyway. Um, but they, they've they've got to find someone to, to to fill some holes and and someone someone that can go get a bucket because um, for for nine years we've had problems with. Um, extended droughts of two, three, four, five minutes with no or one field goal. And um, if if you can't scheme your way into getting a basket, you've got to have people who can go get you a basket. And uh, it's just tough to win games when you have, when you have those long droughts that often. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Missy, one of the topics that we discussed on my TV show last night uh, was something I couldn't answer. I really couldn't come up with the right answer on this, and it was this. Baylor clearly is the best men's program in the Big 12 this year, um, although they've only played nine games. I just I, I don't understand. It's like they're trying to play be Ohio State of the football season by not playing and then backing into the postseason. But there's such a pileup behind them. Kansas now is suddenly playing better in part because they played Iowa State twice and K-State once in the last two weeks. Um, West Virginia is picking up some steam. Texas seems to be cooling off right now. That would have been my answer for the second-best team. But now, all of a sudden, they seem to be fraying a little bit, including it looks like some internal issues as players were bickering on Saturday. Texas Tech has faltered a little bit. Who is the second-best team in this conference? And is the conference really that good? I, I'm not sure that the conference is as good as we thought. I think I, that's a hard question. Um, and I think it goes back to probably the philosophy that we've all had about the Big 12 for, you know, 25 years. Or how, I guess when we went finally went to 10, whenever that was, I've lost track. It seems so long ago. But um, everybody beats up on everybody because you play the round robin, right? So sooner or later, it happens on both the men's and the women's. We beat up on each other. And so your strength of schedule, your RPIs, your net now, all of that, it, it just goes up and down. It ebbs and flows throughout the course of January, February, and the first week of March. And nobody can figure out what's going on. Well, now you've got a team that hasn't played for a while. They're sitting pretty and just kind of watching everybody else beat up on everybody. And then they'll be able to come back into the flow and do what they want to do. I... I personally really like West Virginia. I have liked West Virginia from the beginning of the season. And that was before the big kid transferred. And then he left. And I think they may even be better without him. I think I, I just don't think it was a fit. I don't think he was probably on the same wavelength as hugs. And it just wasn't, you, you know, Morgantown just probably wasn't his jam. So if that's the case, then fine. But I think they're really good. I mean, you take McBride and Culver. I mean, those guys, and, and they they work hard and they do the little thing that help you win games. You know, they were down and out at Texas over the weekend and come back in. And why is that? Well, they're willing to get dirty. They get on the floor. It's the 50-50 balls. It's I'm going to step in and take a charge. I'm in help side defense. I knock down shots. I'm, I'm ready to shoot the basketball on the rotation, right? Like, 
I, I just think that's well coached and it's kids that have been taught we go all out 40 minutes you don't take a playoff and and that's how you know that's how we're going to do that so I like West Virginia I'm sure there's a lot of people you know they're going to tell you okay use on the move and what have you I don't think they have all the parts I don't think they're as well-rounded as West Virginia um you know and I think Texas and Texas Tech are waffling because they still they they can't put it together consistently. Gills, your thoughts on the second best team in the Big Twelve? I agree. West Virginia is a good team. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, Huggins is not going to put up with any BS. So if you're not hustling and playing your tail off, you're going to be on the bench. So we saw that on Saturday against Texas. But I, moving forward, just personally, I think that Sheboy's presence is going to actually hurt them. Um, I, I know they're winning games now and they've actually gotten a little bit better without him, but you know, we always heard about the twin towers with Culver and Sheboy. that's gone. I think that it's going to come crashing down just a little bit here for, for the Mountaineers moving forward. I think that Texas tech would have to be my answer. Uh, Mac McClung. I don't know if I could put, I mean, everyone talks about Baylor's players personally. I'd have Mac McClung over anyone in the big 12 on my team. If I got to pick. If I was Coach Gilbert, right? If I was Coach Ryan Gilbert. So mm. uh, I, I like Texas Tech. I think Chris Beard, you know, we've seen this a lot with him in March. You know, went to the Elite Eight and then the next year went to the title game. So he proves people wrong. He gets better as the season goes on. So if I had to put my money, uh, you know, as for March Madness, who's going to go farthest apart from Baylor, I'd put it on Texas Tech. Very interesting. Jay Hydrick, before we let you go, and we call this a day, Bob Huggins, Bill Self, Lon Kruger, Chris Beard, and Shaka Smart. One of those doesn't belong with the others in my book. Um, the five teams that are kind of battling to be second in this conference. And Shaka's had a surprising season. They have taken the next step, but I, I think we're seeing his shortcomings as a coach show up now as as we get down into the heat of this season and, and Texas Blew the 17-point lead, basically blew it against K-State. K-State wasn't good enough to win. Did that against West Virginia, 19 points, but the Mountaineers were good enough to win. Is Texas turned into the fool's gold of this conference? I mean, I think what shows is what has been probably huge criticism on uh, of Shaka's team since he's been a Texan. That's just a lack of discipline. Uh, when you get up 19 points, you don't want to necessarily take the foot off the gas and get into a passive mode. But at the same time, too, you don't want to just come down and shoot full three-pointers, which is what Texas does a lot. And that's what allowed uh, K-State to get back in the game against uh, against them. Um, you know, Texas was up big, and they just they, they got away. They, they stopped making some shots, and they've got probably the best big man in the league in Jericho Sims. Um, who can just be a dominant force. Uh, I think he's underutilized. I think he's underappreciated. Uh, and, you know, when, when, when you give, you know, when you give teams, when, when you come down and you shoot horrible shots and they're not going in, that's the effect of a turnover. And in many ways it's worse than a turnover because a long shot's going to have a long rebound. Um, that can initiate a fast break, easy points for the other side. Uh, going to West Virginia, you know, one of the things, this is why I just greatly respect Bob Huggins. Um, there's a lot of things that people don't like about him and we go back and forth, but that's a guy who looked at arguably his best player and said, if you're not in, you're out. I will lose games with guys 
who want to be here and are going to buy in on my philosophy rather than have a better chance to win with someone who's going to be a cancer to my locker room. Uh, that is a huge, huge statement to why he's a Hall of Fame coach. There's a lesson there to be learned. Maybe for K-State basketball. Huh. Hmm. Maybe. Good stuff, boys and girls. How's that? Uh, real, real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, Gills, if you think you take Mac McClung over Jared Butler from Baylor, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Butler. had it coming. Butler special. Uh, next I, week. Go. I was going to say, if everyone can find a Mac McClung in the transfer portal, now that would be the way to go. Yeah. If you blown it. <laughs> And then figure out a way where everybody gets one. Then I think we're all in business. Yeah, exactly. We will discuss K-State baseball, excuse me, a little bit next week. The Wildcats open their season down in Arizona with a huge win over Oregon State, but unfortunately followed that up with a loss to Gonzaga and a loss to New Mexico. As we wrap up this podcast, they are leading 5-1 to one over Gonzaga in the ninth inning as they wrap up their trip to Surprise, Arizona. We appreciate Blue Mark Energy for the sponsorship. Missy, thanks for joining us. It worked Thank out you. well. Jay, good stuff as always. Gilbert, eh. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> Mac McClung, who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. It's not a bad choice. It's just not the best choice. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.